Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Women's Research Podcast. Today, we have an exciting episode dedicated to patient-oriented research. Patient-oriented research is all about engaging patients, their caregivers, and families as active partners in the research process. By involving them, we ensure that studies focus on the priorities identified by patients themselves, leading to improved outcomes and better care. In this episode, we have the privilege of speaking with some incredible individuals from the Endometriosis Patient Research Advisory Board. Joining us today are Adirne Lopez de Arbina, Jessica Sutherland, and Heather Noga. They are here to share their valuable insights and experiences in the world of patient-oriented research. But first, let's hear from Nicole Presley, our very own host and manager of Knowledge Translation, who will guide us through this insightful conversation. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Hello, folks. Thanks so much for joining us on At Women's Research podcast. Super excited today to have some special guests from the Endometriosis Patient Research Advisory Board. And these folks have agreed to come today to share their stories on what it's been like to engage in patient-oriented research. We've heard from our research community that engaging knowledge users, which includes patient partners, people with lived experience and expertise, is something that you're all very keen on. And we often get requests from folks asking for real-life examples. What does it look like to engage patients as partners? So we're really looking forward to the conversation with the Endometriosis Patient Research Advisory Board members who can share their knowledge with us. And we're really grateful for your time that you're taking to be here today. Just as a quick context note, I did want to just remind folks where we are in the patient-oriented research landscape. So for folks who haven't seen the strategy for patient-oriented research, we'll include a link to that in our show notes. That was created in 2011. Canada's strategy is to ensure that the right patient receives the right intervention at the right time. The way that they're going to do this is by increasing the amount of research being conducted with and by knowledge users, so those folks with lived experience and expertise, which includes patients, caregivers, and healthcare providers in this definition. But we know that knowledge users can be much broader than that. So who am I? I am Nicole. My pronouns are she, her, and I am the research and knowledge translation manager at the Women's Health Research Institute. I'm going to pass the mic along for some introductions, and I'll start with Ederne. Hi, Nicole. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to be here and share our experiences. My name is Ederne. And as you might tell by my accent, I was born in Basque Country, northern Spain. I will define myself as a curious soul, one that loves travel and learn from new experiences. You will find me working in the schools or probably having a walk in the forest. And I have been battling with this called invisible conditions in the age. 12. And it was not until my 32nd birthday that I discovered that this invisible illness had a name and it was called endometriosis. Even if the path has been rocky for me, I'm immensely grateful for the folks and the doctors and the loved ones that have been around me who helped me gather these strengths and to keep walking in this path. 
Well, thank you so much, Adirne. Really appreciate you being here and sharing your story and your experience with us today. Heather Noga, who we know is the figurative glue for a lot of this work, I'll pass it over to you. Thanks, Nicole. And thank you, Adirne. So my name's Heather, and I'm the research manager at the Women's Health Research Institute that is dedicated to the endometriosis and pelvic pain laboratory. I don't have endometriosis myself, but I have worked with the team since 2016 and have been really amazed and just welcomed into the endometriosis community. So I'm very grateful to be able to support the patient advisory board and to support our patient-oriented research projects at the center. Thanks, Heather. And Jessica. That was lovely. Both of those were lovely. <laughs> so my name is Jessica Sutherland, and I'm joining you today from the territories of the Seychelles Nation. I use she, her pronouns and actually have a really varied background, mostly focused on communications. Currently, I'm a fledgling technical writer, and I'm also a person who has endometriosis and PCOS. Since 2017, I've been a member of the Patient Research Advisory Board, also known as the PRAB. With Adirne, we were two of the first three members, and I'm very happy to join you here today. Thanks so much, Jessica. You just mentioned, Jessica, that you are two of the original Patient Research Advisory Board members. And wow, isn't that something? Heather, when did this all begin? So this all began in 20. 2016, 2017 is when this idea of bringing patients into the research program at the endometriosis team was born. I know that the endometriosis team is very close to patients and they really wanted to incorporate more patient voices into their research team, into their research strategy, and kind of see where that takes them and where, where they would go with that. So in 2017, we started with three people. We now have 11 people, and I can talk more a bit about how that happened later. But uh, I'm curious to know more from Jessica and Adirne into what it was like to, to be approached for this type of an opportunity. Yeah, so fittingly, I was attending a session of the World Congress for Endometriosis called Empowering Patients and the Role of Allied Healthcare. So it was free and open to patients. And afterward, I was asked by Heather if I would be interested in advising on endometriosis research. And I'm sure, Heather, you phrased it much better than that, but that's my memory of it. And of course I said yes, because I'm here <laughs> now today. But prior to my diagnosis two years earlier, I'd spent more than half of my life at that point feeling like medical practitioners weren't listening to me. And then suddenly my experience, it was valuable and I might be able to guide research. It was so validating. And for me, the timing was right because if I'd been asked shortly after my diagnosis two years before, I likely would have said no. So it's all about finding the right people at the right time. Wow, such an important message. Adirne, what was your experience like? It was similar to what Jessica just described because I was there at the same table when they approached us and asked the question. To be honest, I didn't know pretty well what I was saying yes to, but I was at that point where it was a year from my diagnosis and my surgery. So as Jessica said, it was the right point for me to join the board 
because at that point I wanted to discover and learn more about what's happening with my body. And yeah, I would say everything started at the Congress of Endometriosis that happened in 2017. It's, it's really interesting, Adorne, that you say you didn't know what you were being asked to do. Heather, did you know what you were asking them to do? <laughs> so we knew a bit about patient-oriented research. I had worked in the UK prior to this with some patient partners. And so we knew the value that they had. We knew that it was important to the research team. And we definitely knew that this was something that we wanted to do. But how that actually looked, that was the more difficult and tricky part. So the event that they're talking about was an event that actually we hosted. And that was one of the ways that we're able to connect with patients outside of a clinical setting, which I think is really important to have opportunities to meet people as human beings and see them as their, their true selves and what they're able to offer. Um, I know we also went to Starbucks as well with a few people, got to know them on a personal relationship level. And then really sat down at a table and went, okay, what do we want this to look like? What do we want to do as a board? What kind of projects do we want to get involved in? And it really was a evolving partnership. So we, we knew the value, but not how it would be executed. And that was an important part because we wanted patient partners to be part of the development of actually executing the board, designing the board, deciding what it looked like and what it focused on. So how did you start? So the board was the sort of vision at the beginning. And then were there certain goals that you had or certain tasks that you wanted to achieve with everyone there? So one of our big goals at the beginning was grant writing. <laughs> so that's a really important way that people can get involved. We had a grant out there that we were waiting for, but it had come back with reviewer responses. They weren't necessarily favorable. And we were able to work with the patient partners to develop better responses to that. And we did end up getting successful in getting that grant. So one of the first main outcomes was really grant writing, designing research together, and like taking that time to just get to know each other and what each person can bring, what each person's skill set is. We tried a few projects that didn't pan out, and a lot of that came down to not having funding for those ideas. So we really did focus on getting some good research projects funded that we could really grab onto and do as a team. It felt like, though, at the beginning that we were really finding our footing, and that was okay because we were all doing it together, and we were communicating, and Heather and the rest of the team were communicating with the patient partners about hey, we're going to see how this evolves. Let's work together to build this. But I remember that shortly after we started, we were applying to grants and we started getting grants and we started getting all the grants. And then we had too many projects, it felt like. And that's a wonderful problem to have, especially when you're working in the women's health sphere, because there's not a lot of funding available or allotted to projects that work, particularly those that work with sexual health. That's right. I remember how our first few meetings, things were very organically growing and we were seeing where we could support. They were a key to establish some key roles within the group at the beginning. 
Yeah, and then it was interesting how we were, like, as Jessica said, at the beginning, we were applying for some grants, but then that even grew even bigger and we have so many projects at Seaside. Yeah. As you said, Jessica, it's a good problem to have, but also to, to Jessica and Adirne, this role of grant writing, well, Heather knows because we, you do this all the time, but grant writing and being engaged in this work can be absolutely exhausting. So for you two, how do you manage yourselves? You're both living with endometriosis. Are there certain things that, you know, you've picked up along the way that help you balance your interest in doing this work with doing the work itself? Adriana, do you want to go first? Do you want to tackle this? Sure, sure. I have to say that thanks to Feather, Feather has been super supportive and flexible. As as we were moving forward with the group and she definitely understood us and we were taking roles as we could, like we were not able to come to every meeting. Heather was flexible with that and she understood that we might be having some like life work balance issues or maybe at that point we were not feeling in the right headspace to do that work. So that was, in my opinion, it was key for us to keep participating because even after six years, we are still here and we are (laughs) still battling with the endometriosis. So I think the key has been how Heather has been supportive and flexible. We have been participating in the roles as we could and depending on our expertise, and she always asks us in which capacity we could participate. I think having a board has helped that because there are people who can support each other as well. Everybody is given the opportunity to work on individual projects in the ways that they'd like to work on those individual projects. But if that's too much for them, they're still able to hear about how those projects are going and help with the like priorities for the project and troubleshooting for the project. So I think the system that we have really works. I agree that the system we have is working and it has evolved. And I think a real basis for that is that we started with a foundation of mutual respect. So often when you're dealing with people who are researchers or doctors or patients, there's a bit of a power imbalance inherent in that. And when we first walked into that room on that first meeting, it was a specialist asking us for our help and to talk about our experiences and really valuing that experience as a way of knowing. A lot of the policies we operate with now, they've been there since the first days. And I feel like we all collaborated to develop them, like we were talking about. And including patient partners in that process is a great way to build guidelines that are for the specific group of patient partners. So it's going to look different for each group. But that process helps to create a relationship. You begin to build trust and it really demonstrates that equality. And then when you put those guidelines into practice, you're saying your voice matters. Wow. So it sounds like a lot of co-creation, respect. That's a really key message. And thank you for that, Jessica. The hierarchy within the health system and academia is something that's important to name. I think in particular, when we think about researchers engaging in these spaces, 
you folks are now further down the road. And so looking back on your journey, are there things you are glad you did at the beginning or things you'd wish you'd done differently? I think patients who are joining the advisory board now, since we have more idea of what the board looks like, what the roles are, they're given more information and perhaps they've also encountered patient-oriented research. It's much more common than it was when we first started six or was it seven years ago? (laughs) And so they might have that understanding. I feel I didn't have that understanding when I joined. And I don't think that's necessarily a flaw. Maybe in some ways it was a, what is the opposite of a flaw? (laughs) Opportunity. Opportunity. Love it. Yes. Yeah, that's true that perhaps when we came into this partnership, we didn't really know how that will look like because we were building it together. And I remember it was just three of us and Heather, and I really remember those meetings. But is this true, as Jessica said, the group has a bit more structure right now and the new partners that they are joining us. They know a bit better how the group looks like and the process that we're working. And I think the beauty of co-building is that you can continue to co-build. So as we go, as we learn more, as we add new members, as group dynamics change, we adjust and we incorporate new voices and we co-build as we go as well. So there is a bit of a structure now. And I do think that's important for even just getting things done to have a structure and to have a system, but we're always open to adjusting that as, as we go. Yay. Agility. (laughs) (laughs) I want to go back to the, what is your why? I remember very vividly walking into Arthritis Research Canada, where I used to work and being introduced to a patient advisory board and thinking, holy cow. There's patients who are partnering on research projects. These are people who are living with rheumatoid arthritis and lupus, and this is amazing. And I saw the impact that it was having on the research, like some of the outcomes that were being incorporated into study design. And it's something that propels my interest in this and desire to engage the right folks in research. And so I'd love to know What are your whys? What sort of brought you into this space? What are some of the things that keep you going in this work so many years later? When I think about the why, the first thing that comes to mind, it was like, it was the right timing for me when this opportunity came up because it was one year after my surgery and I was in the right head space to improve my life, to know more. The first reason I thought, oh, it's going to be a good opportunity to learn more about this condition. But when I think a bit more deeply on the why, and it's the one that has kept me going for those many years, I have to say that for me, the main reason was to give back. After my surgery, I had an incredible support from the BC Women's Hospital because I was provided with pain management workshops, pelvic floor physiotherapists and counselors. For me, it was an opportunity to get back to the community and to also not just to the BC Women's Hospital, but to the entire endometriosis community. 
And yeah, and after six years, and I think it's still there for some way, I'm still here. And it's lovely to see, to see how many projects, the community involvement, and to see how they were giving some meaning to those researchers. So I think it's an important work. Yeah, in agreement with the journey. My current why is more altruistic, for sure, wanting to give back. But in the beginning, it was inherently selfish. I wanted that validation. I wanted people to listen to me and hear my story. But as I started interacting more with researchers and doctors as people, who really care about patients with endometriosis. They really want to spread knowledge. They don't want to just do research and send it out into nothing. They want to spread knowledge. They want to spread awareness. They want to ask, hey, how can we do better? What did you want to see us do? And I think that's the beauty of this whole thing. That's the why now for me is I get to help these incredibly intelligent and wonderful and caring people make the world a better place. And it feels like it's working. The success that your group has had is just such a, it's phenomenal. You're all really walking the talk. Heather, what about you? What's your why? What's my why? I think like from from the researcher's perspective, perspective in me. Definitely, it makes the research better. It makes the research more successful, much more meaningful, much more relevant. The group generates incredible ideas, is incredibly creative, and really ensures that the research is done better. So it's really phenomenal to see. But on a personal level, uh, some of my favorite people are on the board, and it's just (laughs) They make me think about things differently and check in with me when I've had a bad day. <laughs> it's, it's very much, very much about the relationships that you build. And that's why I keep coming back. That's why we keep coming back too, Heather. <laughs> yes. Uh, Heather, you're that, what's it called? You're that special sauce. Yes. but And no, I think other people can definitely do this work too. This is... <laughs> It really just takes somebody who's honest and interested and curious, like Adirne said, who's willing to learn because we're all coming to the table wanting to wanting to learn and wanting to do better and wanting to to make the world a better place and in a way. So just recognizing our commonalities. I think anybody can really do this work as long as you are in the right space. There's lots of supports out there as well. We can put some in the, the show notes, I believe you said. We can put some additional supports, some guiding principles, some workbooks that people can do if they're interested in starting with patient-oriented research. But really, it just start, build a relationship, see how it goes. One thing I'm curious about, because Jessica, you mentioned the interest in, in engaging with these folks, these healthcare providers. What was it like experience working alongside a clinician researcher. Actually, coincidentally, my specialist that I've been seeing who did my first surgery, and if I have another surgery, will do my second surgery, is the main clinician that we work with. It was certainly interesting going into the room and very intimidating because this is a very well-known person who knows what they're doing and brought an article and said, here's this research I'm doing. What do you think of the research? 
do you understand this paper I wrote? And I didn't understand the paper. But I have since then, I know. <laughs> you told me you didn't understand. It's true. I did. I Were felt. you honest? Yeah, I was honest. I did that sandwich where you give the compliment and you say the honest thing and then you give the other compliment and you try to be honest in your compliments too. But <laughs> the peanut butter sandwich, I think it's called. <laughs> There's an idea in the middle that's very sticky. Yes. Yes, exactly. Ooh, sticky. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that is something that we hear as well. Like the, these are healthcare providers as well as researchers. And sometimes they both wear, they wear both hats. He's always been really great at doing that and showing that he's a person too, which is something great to take away from that. Adarne, what about you? Is there anything that you can recall from the first interactions meeting with these clinician researchers? Yeah, as Jessica said, you perhaps feel intimidated, right? Oh, and sometimes you even feel, oh, I don't want to ask that question because perhaps it's something that I should know. Or So definitely you feel intimidated. I remember Heather, that we just told one of the rules was like, we are not going to use acronym. We are going to say the whole name. So we all know what are we talking about. Yeah, but some of the language, if you are not in this environment, often maybe some of the language is not, you are not familiar with some of the language. It was intimidating for sure. I felt also comfortable to ask questions. Maybe not in the spot, but maybe perhaps later ask questions to Heather, like, what does this mean? Like, what is supposed to be? The researchers, they are, they are also people, they're humans, and you feel also that personal aspect, that relational, relation aspect with them too. That's such a good point, remembering that we're all human beings. It, it raises a good point, Adorne, the not using acronyms and the having someone to ask questions to after the fact. If you didn't want to ask something directly in the meeting, it sounds like there's some great strategies that you folks have implemented with the PRAB. I did spell out that acronym first, so I'm going to use it now. Patient <laughs> Research Advisory Board, the Endometriosis Patient Research Advisory Board. Yeah, Are the there EPRAB sounds funny? Oh, EPRAB. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are there other strategies that you all feel like work and really do help continue this work? The not using acronyms, the having a point person, the sort of trusted environment. Are there other things that that yeah really help propel this work forward and make you feel supported too? mentioned earlier about being flexible. Mm -hmm. If you have a grant deadline in a month, build in a little bit of extra time cushion when you're giving people a deadline. So say two and a half weeks, three weeks. And then if it takes a little longer, that's okay because you have built in that extra time, but try to give yourself as much time as possible. Because especially if you're working with people who have acute or chronic illness, they can have a flare-up or they can be having a bad time and not be able to get things in timely fashion. Such a good point, Jessica. Are there any other strategies that or ways that you all run the PRAB or operate as a team that really stand out? The flexibility has been important. Also, 
We, I will say that we have been able to choose the level of involvement that we wanted to have in certain projects. And also depending on our personal expertise, we will get more or less involved. And another aspect that has been key mentioned as well is like having that flexibility because maybe during that month or that week, we are not feeling well. So we can really show up for the meeting or to show up, really bring it to the group. So having that flexibility has been, for me, has been key, key, a key aspect. Thanks, Adarne. It's also been, it seemed increasingly important to have a diverse group because everyone brings different perspectives. They have different skill sets and they can include them in projects. And then there's going to be different motivations for joining the advisory board and for staying on. And something that has been so vital and so important for us, and this is a Heather-based thing, is be organized. (laughs) Send out meeting minutes. Try to time things accurately. So if you're having someone coming in to make a presentation, tell them that they're limited to 15 minutes because you're going to want to be running those meetings effectively and then take notes. Mm -hmm. And then if people can't make it, then they have information about what happened at the meeting, different project updates. I'm sure Heather can speak more about all the behind the scenes things that she does (laughs) that keeps everything running. Yeah. So strategies I use are are similar to any meeting, like said meeting agenda. Some feedback that I've definitely gotten and worked on is sending meeting reminders, making sure meetings are held outside of working hours that is convenient time for everybody is really important. And the researchers who are looking for our support come to the PRAB meeting, not the other way around. That's really important to, to put patients first in terms of what their availability is. What else? Yeah, definitely sending around agendas, meeting minutes. And I feel like I always struggle with time management. There's never enough time in the meetings to really like unpack each project, talk about each project, and give each person their their real opportunity to be heard and valued. I would say for other people running meetings like this, always leave extra time and then leave a little more extra time than what you think to need. <laughs> we always run out of time and we often go over, which I try not to, but but the conversations that you'll get are so rich and Mm -hmm. so wonderful that you're going to want to keep talking about it. And yeah, so definitely one of our top challenges. My top challenge is time. Yeah. Yeah, that's a key aspect. I don't think our meetings have ever gone over the two hours we were meeting. Heather was very on point. Oh, it's 7 (laughs) p.m. I believe everyone has things to do. That was important. And another key aspect that uh, Heather mentioned, having those group notes Mm. is super helpful because if you are not able to attend the meeting, you can read it later or even before the meetings, you can just take some time and see what happened in our last meeting. And also we know well in advance when our meetings are going to happen. So we are prepared for that. That's key too. Love that. Planning ahead. Do you folks use Google Suite? We do. Yes. 
we do use that. That's always important as well, is putting documents in a place where everybody can access them is really important. So we have project like summaries of all of our projects are are up there as well. So not all our project files or things like that's all behind the firewall, but summaries of our projects so that everybody has the key information to go back to when they're like, oh, maybe I'm interested in getting involved in this project and I want to know a little bit more about it or or I want to to do something with this project and I want to refresh my memory on what it is because I've been working on these other four projects. So this, all that information is available to people so they can look at that and, and prepare themselves. That's amazing. Those curious people. And if you're having in-person meetings, you can build food into the budget. Now we meet since something happened in 2020. We've been meeting online, which means that people who live in other parts of Canada can now join. So that's amazing. We're not limited by geographic boundaries, but I really miss those sushi platters. They were very good. Yes. Though the spring rolls we have at the beginning. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Again, part of relationship building. And we haven't done it in a while, but we've done gift cards for delivery services, which we should do again. And we can do things like that to, to make things a bit more personal, even though we're separated. Yeah, I don't think I ever used mine. I probably should look in my email. (laughs) (laughs) To that note, recently I have a reminder email to use my gift card. I was like, oh yeah, I have the money to buy me some food. So I think it was like actually three months ago where I was like, oh yes, thank you. You're welcome. Maybe we need to do a different system or something that people. <laughs> it's all about I learning, think, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think I was keeping it for an special occasion and then I forgot it was there <laughs> until they remind me. A special occasion. I love that. Yeah. So you folks do a lot of things well. And something that I was wondering about is if anyone has, if you've experienced a challenging time with working on the PRAB, if there's been any instances where there was conflict or disagreement and and how that was navigated? We really, I can't think of too many or really almost any. There, there was one thing. We try to be inclusive whenever possible and we try to use inclusive language and everybody who's come from the outside world come to the prep has been really great about that. Or if they slipped up, they would immediately correct it and take feedback really well. We did have one person who wasn't so good and maybe wasn't getting the message. They were focused on their presentation, didn't get the correction to use more inclusive language. And I think that we dealt with it really well afterwards. It was about checking in and making sure that everyone's comfortable because it is so important, especially when you have a group that you're speaking from personal experience to have them feel included is so essential. Yeah, it does happen in group dynamics. You have clashing personalities sometimes, and it's just important to be honest about those situations to leave space in the meeting to discuss those issues, to allow for the patient partners on the board to have a discussion without 
me there without anybody from the research team there so that they can be even more open and honest and formulate ideas because not everybody is comfortable coming forward with their own concerns. And then in addition to listening is actually addressing the issue is important as well. So the same types of things that would come up in any scenario where you have more than one person in a room can happen. And listening, leaving space, addressing the issue is how we've moved forward. And as Jessica said, it's gone well. So phew. But yeah, there's always challenges. I think communication is also key. And as also Jessica mentioned, it's important to create that inclusive environment and welcoming environment for everyone. Thanks, Adarne. And thank you, three. That's, yeah, that sounds like there's good sort of values and principles of how you operate and you're all very passionate about upholding those values. Just so you folks know our audience, there's trainees, there's early career researchers, there's folks who are patient partners or community partners on projects and staff who listen to the podcast. Are there any messages that you'd like to share with our audience that we haven't covered today already? Words of wisdom, or as I like to call them, failing forward as well. I heard that at a conference once and I really liked it. I think maybe just to thank them for including the patients more in their researches because I believe it brings up more and it is definitely more enriching to the communities. Just perhaps to say thank you to them and recognizing their work they, that they do. Also, that, that enrichment, it goes both ways for the community, for the people that is participating. And also for the doctors and researchers that they're behind. Such a good point. I don't know who said it earlier, whether it was a journey or Heather, but just start. Mm -hmm. If you're thinking about doing research, you're thinking you're a patient partner, you're thinking about becoming involved, just do it. You can start small. You don't have to have clearly defined goals as long as you are, as Heather was saying, honest and you communicate. It is just such important work, such enriching work, and it enriches research. It also lets you know that you haven't wasted a bunch of time researching something that no one cares about. That's such such a good point, Jessica. And thank you, Adarni, for the reciprocal, right? We're learning from one another and knowledge and the expertise that you both have living with something. Yeah, also, I think it was key in our group, the flexibility, understanding and communication and that relationship we have been building just to keep the group going. So like focusing on that cohesion in the group is also important. Absolutely. Heather, what about you? Any final words? We're fortunate now that we have a lot of resources in how to engage patient partners, how to reflect on our own biases, motivations, and intentions, and how to really engage in a community space. So I would say just, just like actually doing patient-oriented research, preparing for it, take that time to think about what, uh, what you're planning, and then connect with someone and build a relationship and then change your ideas about how you're, how you're necessarily going to go about it. So build something together. Amazing. Yes. 
I feel like maybe we should have a part two of this as well and do a context-specific endometriosis-related patient-oriented research. <laughs> Thank you all for being here. Really very grateful for the time that you've taken out of your days to talk with us for an hour. The experiences and expertise that you both have brought to our community are just phenomenal and some really key takeaways that we can all go in action, especially Jessica's, just do it. <laughs> oh, that wasn't mine. That was someone else's, but thank you. <laughs> yeah, let's all just go do it. And, and thanks to Heather, we'll have all these resources to put in the show notes so that we can enable that. If you have an idea for an episode or have some research of your own to share, let us know. Send us an email at whri.communications at cw.bc.ca. For more information about WHRI, follow us on social media using the handle at Women's Research or check out our website at whri.org. 